0: This is the Homebrew Game Club, a podcast about modern, brand new, aftermarket video games for retro consoles. On this podcast, we pick one game a month to play and talk about. Today's game is Anguna for the Game Boy Advance, the Atari 2600, and the Nintendo Entertainment System. My name is Nick, also known as Divertov, and with me today are...
1: My name is Bart. I'm on Instagram, as clever username needed, but uh, you can also find me on Threads threads and my name is Connor Hot. my name is, Connor. Look is you trendsetter my,
2: my name is Connor Nash I am on most social media as Connor Nash try to find me somewhere that is not X
0: not X okay before we get started I would like to remind everyone that on this podcast we believe in honest opinions but we also understand that many of these games are not made by professionals they are labors of love also as a note to our listeners we are not game developers ourselves we are just fans so please keep that in mind as we offer up any criticisms of these games. All right, guys, how have you been? It's been a while since we recorded.
1: Oh yeah, there was a there was a big summer in between
0: then and now. No, I really appreciated the summer break. I got to say, when you have three kids, summer break is not a break. It is a giant pain in the ass. Yes.
2: Yeah. On top of that, it's very involved.
0: Yeah, it's almost like organizing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Are they doing? Did they? Did they do summer camp like in? in the UK like they do over here cuz i you know like here if you know it just culturally and like the income bracket in the area that we're in if you do not have your kids in summer camp constantly it's like child abuse you know what i mean i do they do that over there
2: there's a really interesting cultural thing in europe where uh, people do this thing i think i'm pronouncing it right it's called vacation uh oh, wow. and they do it yeah What's they saying? really they what, do it, it for like it,
0: wait a minute wait a minute is this um, what do they call it a taking a holiday yeah, that, yeah, that's the wow, colloquial. Wow. Yeah, the colloquial. Wow. and
2: they'll do this this idea for like four weeks at a time.
0: Oh my god, what the <laughs> hell do sick. you do for four range, weeks? Strange it's, European custom. It's, it's disgusting, it. really.
2: But they will take their children and they will literally just spend time with their children, what away from their work. Oh my god, and they'll do that for maybe four weeks at a time. It's uh, I I I will be honest. I did not engage with it this year. I was still on a, a, a an American work ethic. Who knows? Maybe next year I could I could maybe uh, maybe integrate, you know, maybe work that into my own culture. Who knows? Yeah, just fuck off to Ibiza
1: for a month. <laughs> right?
0: Ibiza. Well, I man, you know, let me tell you something in America. We put our kids to work. We said go to summer camp. You're gonna make that macaroni art. goddammit. it. That's right. If you live in
1: Arkansas, fucking working at the meat plant.
2: <laughs> just sorting that chicken dark meat white meat saying, what down. did
0: i do all summer because i don't remember spending all my time at camp what i remember doing during the summer when i was a kid is playing fucking nintendo games yeah like me too you know it's i i spent an entire summer and all i did was play super mario brothers 2 the greatest game of all time and uh, why well, that that's like a
1: great summer you
0: know how did i like every single day that's all i did Oh, sorry what? Kind of
1: dropped it. out there. Yep. Anyway. You know that uh, that song, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas? There's that line in there that says, Mom and Dad can hardly wait for school to start again. Yes. I had <laughs> no idea how true that was until I had like a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old. Oh, yeah. Woo! Big time. So Anguna. That, that yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk about right, a game. right. right, right. Yes.
0: I just want to say right off the bat. So there are a couple of Kickstarters going on. I I want to say this now, just so we don't bury it at the end of the podcast. But um, these are pretty big, so I want to mention them. So there's a uh, triple jump. So that is Morphcat. That's the the uh, Micro Mages guys. They have a new card out. It's got three games on one card. It is Micro Mages' second quest. Like Micro Mages one point five, the Micro Mages. Yes,
1: holy shit!
0: Space Gulls, which is a a short game, but it has a it's like it's a platformer based on. It's an like, addictive one. Joust Physics, okay, so like your little Flappy Bird, you know, jumping around as a platformer, which I think is a fantastic idea, and then Bobble, where you play as a bubble. Oh, all time greats, all time. Yeah, it is. That one is is really magnificent, just for the physics alone. Yeah,
1: that blew me away when I saw that. When we were first starting this. Yeah.
0: But if you listen to this, that is, that Kickstarter is over on October 6th. So it's probably going to be, you might just get at the end of it. But another one that just launched was Wink and the Broken Robot. So this is Max Oakland. He did the uh, Ruby and Rusty Save the Crows, which we covered on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With the apples and stuff. That was great. Yeah, this is the little eyeball guy that, you know, that he has. Yes, this is Wink's and the Broken Robot. I was going to say Wink's Big Adventure. Sorry. But um, no, but that one ends on October twentieth. There is a beta available, and I think it might be the full game. Nice. And then the uh, the last one I wanted to mention. It's not a Kickstarter, but it is. uh, You you got a short window to order this one. It is from Below Pocket. Mm. So that is Matt Houston. Matt Houston, everybody, take a drink. Take a drink. Uh, That is his. Take a drink. So that is his. That is the Game Boy port of From, From Below for NES, which is a it is a spin on Tetris. Where it has this like kraken creature, this giant squid that's like that messes around with the blocks, and it's like it's basically an excellent port of Tetris with a couple of uh, little variables added in that arguably make it a little more fun. Which direction does the kraken come from? Comes from from below. Oh
1: shit! I know, oh, right? Shit. I see what he did there. That's great.
0: But yeah, so they, that's available for Game Boy. It's also he is also re-releasing the NES cartridge. Which is oh, nice. really cool, yeah, and it's got some great box art. The cart looks really nice. I
2: also remember um, Matt Houston mentioning something about how this like Tetris ish gameplay. He kind of optimized it because yeah, he thought right. He had a good idea for how to do it, and then he spoke to people who actually play Tetris really well. Yes,
0: and I think yeah, I think wasn't that when we interviewed him? Wasn't he talking yeah, about that? Yeah, yeah. He talked mm-hmm. to like Tetris like champion Tetris players, and it was like, how can we improve the one on NES? The you know that legendary NES Tetris and they gave him some suggestions, but yeah, but yeah. So th- both of those are available until October sixteenth. You can also get the ROM of From Below Pocket. You can get it for five bucks on itch. And I got a what I got. I got the cartridge, and then I'm going to put on my flash cart a, the copy of the ROM, and I'm going to hook up two Game Boy Colors, and I'm going to play this with my kids, two player, because mm. it does work with the link cables, so you can play it two player. Whoa. That's hardcore. Yeah.
1: Pretty cool. That is pretty awesome.
0: Matt Houston, everybody. Okay. Anguna. We're here to talk about Anguna. You guys ready to get your adventure on, your top-down adventure? Hell yeah! ready to
2: get my grindy adventure on. That's what it is.
0: (laughs) Anguna. A little bit about this game. All these games are developed by Nathan Tolbert. They are published under the uh, moniker Bite the Chili. You can find all these games at bitethechili.com. The first one we're going to talk about, this is for the Game Boy Advance and Guna Warriors of Virtue. This was developed first. It was started in, I think, either 2005 or 2003. I'm not sure. Finished in 2008. I talked to Nathan a little bit about this when we were at the Midwest Gaming Classic in 2022. And uh, yeah, this started as, as a uh, kind of like an indie game for the Game Boy Advance. And I guess back then they weren't really called like homebrews or anything it was just mm. it was just a kind of an indie game and i think if i'm remembering the story correctly he was developing it because they were going to release it for the gba and then the ds came out and at that point it was a little late to release the gba game so what he did is he he made a port so he finished it in 2008 with uh, a guy chris hildebrand did, did some of the artwork and he ported it to the ds So there is actually a DS version out there that has a couple of tweaks, and I have not played that one. So I guess that is technically it's on at least four consoles. Mm. The Atari 2600 version was developed as a sequel to the Game Boy Advance version, and in that one, you were out to fight the Goblin King. That one was started in 2014. I think I remember Nathan saying that it was like like a project almost to teach himself 6502 assembly code. Uh, that was released in 2015, published through Atari Age, which there's some news about that I want to get to it, after we talk about this game. You can you get it today. You can actually find that one. The actual cartridge has got a nice old box and a manual and everything. You can get it on Atari Age. The NES version then was built on the code for the 2600 version. That has music by Human Thomas. That's Thomas Cipollone, I guess. Graphics by Dragon D Platino and Two Bit Crook. That one had a Kickstarter in June of 2021. It raised just over forty thousand dollars U.S. I was a limited edition backer on that, so I have the cart and everything. And it's a numbered. I think it was out of 115. I have number 15, something like that. So, anybody else out there? Just blah, ha ha. That is a brag. I have number 15. Uh, he's not, not a humble
1: brag. Not a humble yeah.
0: brag. That is a straight-up brag. I have the number right. 15. Okay? So.
1: There's 14 people that'll dunk on you.
0: Nathan is actually debating whether or not to port this game to the Super Nintendo. Probably not the Genesis. He does not like the Genesis. But where do you get these games? You can get the all of the, the ROMs. You can find them through bitethechili.com. The GBA and the 2600 ROMs are free. You can download them there. You can also buy a Game Boy Advance cartridge there. The NES ROM is available on Itch. Physical copies, you can get the 2600 at Atari age. The NES, you can get from the 6502 Collective. You can also find Anguna Game Boy Advance in the Evercade Indie Heroes Collection Number 1, which I have. Alistair Lowe was nice enough to send me a copy of that, but I don't have an Evercade, so I've never played it. Yes. Okay, geez, man, I am, I am out of breath. This game is all over the place, I'm telling you what. Okay, the long and storied history of Anguna. Thank you. Uh, Can you guys describe the game? What kind of game is this? Let's talk about that.
2: Barber, what do you think? What what kind of game? Like, explain this for somebody who's never played an Anguna-like game.
1: Honestly, the easiest way to say it is it's like a top-down adventure game in the style of Legend of Zelda. And the OG Legend of Zelda, in that there's really no NPCs to speak of, no towns. It's just just a dungeon crawler with an overworld and, and some dungeons, which... It's probably the reason I feel the way I do about the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very like uh, The Legend of Zelda. I would call it, if I had to
2: put a name on it, a walkie-pokey. Because you walk <laughs> around a lot and you poke at things and you just kind of like keep doing that until the game rewards you for all the poking and walking that you're doing.
0: I love how you take this, you know, because we do an exercise for this podcast where I kind of ask you guys to describe it to people who don't. Who, who maybe have never played a, a video game before. And Connor always has the most creative abstractions for describing these games. So, yeah, walkie-pokey. Okay. I would not have thought of that. Yeah, because you don't, you don't talk. You don't jump. You don't do anything else. You don't, you do don't else. talk. You just poke. Yeah.
2: Sorry, no, I take that back. There's maybe like three or five characters in the game who you can interact with as like a salesman or like a, somebody. Well, you're
0: like, talking about the Game Boy Advance version. Oh, well, there you go. We don't have those in the, the NES or the 2600. So no, there it is. That's more of a pure distillation of the walkie pokey idea. <laughs> yeah.
1: Whereas with me, it's either like Zelda or not. <laughs> this game was nothing like Zelda. This game was a lot like Zelda.
0: I, I've been to Bart's house. Every game that he has is sorted. There's
1: like one little shelf of Zelda games and then there's another shelf with everything else. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And it's got, like, it's got Castlevania, it's got Monopoly, it's got Trivial Pursuit, it's got Bubble Bobble. All that's of which are, are not Zelda-likes, that is,
0: yeah. Correct. Zelda not-likes, that's how they're categorized. That's Zelda not-likes. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I would say, yeah, I, would, I think Bart really hit it on the head. It is very much like the original Legend of Zelda. Now, I would say that extends even to the Game Boy Advance version, which, as I said, has a few NPCs, people that you can talk to. It's got shop owners, got like a healer, a couple other things like that. But it's all like in the original Legend of Zelda. It's it's the same old guy. He lives in a cave. Don't ask questions. Just take the stuff. And, you know, at first glance, I was expecting something a little like A Link to the Past, because it has those Game Boy Advance Super Nintendo-style graphics, but the gameplay is very similar to the original Legend of Zelda. Yeah, you go- so there are... Different dungeons to explore in every iteration of the game. There are keys and power-ups that you can find. You usually use the power-up that you find in the dungeon to, you know, maybe, if not defeat the final boss, like solve some puzzle in the dungeon or that helps you advance a little bit further through the game, maybe some area that you couldn't get to before. Each dungeon has a boss, all leading up to the final boss fight in the very last dungeon. There are also plenty of secrets. So there are secret walls, just like in yes. in Legend of Zelda. Now, I will say here, you don't have to explore for them quite as much. Like, you don't have to go around and bomb walls or something like that. In I, I think every version of the game, you just kind of push up against the walls. Is that correct? You
2: do, but at the same time, I mean, I guess my memory of the original Zelda is kind of rusty, but like... You know, hidden walls, I think, to a modern game player, gamer, I don't even know what that would be, like. but to somebody playing the game today, they may feel it's a little rough on the difficulty curve, but we'll get to that later.
0: The Atari and the NES versions have experience points, and so you level up, there's a level cap at 14, and you do hit it, it doesn't take that long to get maxed out. There are defensive and offensive power-ups that you can get. The Game Boy Advance does not have experience points now you said it does yeah i thought you
2: like when you level up you get just a little increase on your offense and defense your attack and defense
0: did you I've no i thought you have to don't you get um, like swords and shields to up your your attack and defense in that one i'm trying to think now
2: oh right right sorry yes it's just the life force it's just your health
0: oh just your health goes up
2: yeah does it
0: have experience okay maybe it does okay I'm getting confused now. I swear I played that game.
2: No, that's the thing. I I, I focused so much on the GBA version because I remember then searching for defensive power-ups so much. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and sometimes they're hidden under like bushes and stuff. And that's where, because I, you had a higher yes, completion percentage. I, you got eighty-eight percent completed, and I only got eighty-three. And I think it's because yeah. you probably found more stuff. Okay, we'll okay, get okay. to that, Nick. Okay, all this
2: right, right. is the kind of game me and Bart actually do all pretty right, well right. in. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, NES also has a dungeon rush mode. So you, it's a you can do one or two player, and uh, that is a. I think it is just like randomly generated dungeons. You so know, it dungeon like... layouts. Yeah, and you just, you go on and on and on, and uh, I don't know if there's an end or not. I know when Bart and I played it, we got to Room 41, and it did not feel like we were getting close to the end,
1: but not at all.
0: And all three, I would say, do not really have stories to speak of. It, it is just a very bare bones. It almost reads like a parody of other video games where it's like, oh, look, you're in a dungeon again. Time to break out and go kill the Goblin King or fight the dragon or whatever it is. It really is just like that go save the princess kind of, you know, get your ass out the door and get out of here. All right. How do we play this game and what versions did we play? Do you guys want to go? Connor, why don't you go first?
2: So for myself, the GBA version was where I really just like launched myself into. Felt like the like OG original, what I wanted to kind of like get more into, really got sucked in. Super quick, like... Sucked in. For a couple of reasons I will go into, I think I got sucked into that game. Pretty much played it start to finish, like, just kind of kept going until I hit a point where, like, you know, got that title screen of, like, yes, you finished the game. I think I tried the 2600 version next, and that is a very different version. I mean, coming from the GBA (laughs) version, that is a real (laughs) switch. And... Not sure if I can get into a lot of 2600 games. I think I'm just not maybe built for 2600. And then time passed because we had this break over the summer, which, like we said, we really valued. Sure. I'm just getting into the NES version right now. Like literally as we're speaking, I am like, I finished the first dungeon. I've been exploring a little bit more. I've started to kind of like get more into it. NES version has potential for me, but I have not (laughs) finished it.
1: Okay. Bart, what would you play? Well, <clears throat> I bought the Game Boy version at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. You did. From Nathan. Uh, it was actually the first first homebrew game I ever bought. Brought it home. Put it on my little rinky-dink Game Boy Advance SP. Played it for about 20 minutes and just wanted to throw the Game Boy up against the wall because <laughs> it's such an old... It's been sitting on a shelf for almost 20 years now, and yeah. it's, it's not bright, it was just, you know, on my old man eyes, <laughs> uh, it was it was a chore to see. Now, had I gotten the whole, maybe put the ROM on and played it on a bigger screen, I, I would have played the Game Boy Advance version. But um, I decided to go with the uh, the NES version. That's the version that I played all the way through and beat. And then um, last weekend, you came by and we did the the Dungeon Rush on the NES version, which was. A lot of fun, and then I yeah. I, I played a little bit. What, what about a half an hour or more of the twenty six hundred version? I so, think you, um, you played enough to get a good taste of it. Oh yeah, and we, uh, yeah. I actually <laughs> I actually gave you the code for the final boss. And, yes, uh, yes, you got roasted, but oh oh yeah,
0: but it was great. <laughs> but yeah, no, you played this one uh, on on NES. You played this one on a console.
1: I did. You gave me uh, the cartridge, and I actually yep. got to play it on the console. Excellent. It was it was fantastic. I can see the allure now of playing on the original hardware. On Man, a CR, it changes CRT it. TV instead of using a stupid emulator USB controller on an emulator on my Mac. It's um,
0: you've opened my eyes. We'll it just it does. It changes the way you interact with the game. I don't know. It's it's uh it's like putting on glasses or something. It's just I don't I don't know. It's just
1: I, it's a an experience you just have to you just have to do it. You know yeah, to understand is, the appeal of it. Which is probably what I should have done uh, with the Game Boy Advance version was put on glasses.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> or yeah, get a better decide. Game Boy maybe. Well, maybe
0: yeah. I think I think taking the Game Boy. So you have a Game Boy Advance SP. It has not been tuned up. It is the original Game Boy Advance SP, and it is I played this game on your console for about 45 minutes and it it was not fun mm-hmm. i did not like the experience and that has nothing to do with the game and everything to do with just it is a very dull looking screen i can understand that at the time that the the advanced sp came out it was a revelation because it was the first oh yeah the first game boy with a backlit screen but these days i mean it sucks it's a bad
1: quality screen and you know why i bought it I bought that Game Boy Advance SP because I saw that, it. first of all, I saw it was for sale, and it looked like an old-school Nintendo controller. And right next to it was a copy of The Legend of Zelda that had just come out on Game Boy Advance. <laughs> and that, went, that game <laughs> went straight
2: onto your Like Zelda shelf.
1: A- yeah, it's on my Like Zelda screen, uh, <laughs> shelf, yes. But no, I, I literally bought that little handheld console just so that I could play The Legend of Zelda again. It was because I didn't have my, my uh, NES. The original, like. the original. Yeah the original, <laughs> which I've played. I've played on every platform that it's possibly been released. I have a game and watch that has Legend of Zelda. I remember you
2: talking about when that came
1: <laughs> I out. Played on the original NES. I got uh, a GameCube disc that had the original Legend of Zelda, Zelda 2, Majora's Mask, and Ocarina of Time all on one disc. It was like something that came in like a, I don't know, with a magazine or something. But I, had, I paid like, I paid like $60 for it used, which is insane. But I again wanted to hmm. play the legend of zelda at the time i got the nes mini i played it on there i've played it on the switch online I, if there's another version of zelda out there some somewhere somebody tell me it, and i will go purchase it and play it on there too i think i played the legend of zelda every possible way you can play it nice
0: so did you you played zelda on your game of advance when you bought it
1: yes and did you did you have any issues with the screen at that time no no, the screen was brand new. I'm just wondering if maybe yeah, right. the backlight is not as bright as it used to be. Yeah, maybe it's you dimmed know? over time. I know that that might happen, right?
0: Well, Yeah, I think I think get like putting a new screen in that thing would be good. So what I did, I so I got a Game Boy Advance and I put a a, a modern screen into it, and I played the entire game on that. And oh my god, that was that was a, so much better than playing it on your Advance. Um, but I, did. what have you gave me? By the way, that sucked. Like I just want to to
2: emphasize, your generosity was worthless. I am
0: I am reiterating what Bart said about how it sucked. Okay, I I I don't want people to think like, well, you know, the guy doesn't like Game Boy games or something. No, I it's because his console sucks. But no, I yeah. So I got I got a brand new screen on this thing, and I played the whole game on there, and it's fucking fantastic. I I loved the experience of I had the original model. Game Boy Advance, which is smaller than I thought it was. For some reason in my head, I thought it was like the size of a freaking Game Gear, you know, just like mm-hmm. massive, but it is not. It is very small. But uh, I love the the design, just look the look of it. Mm-hmm. But if you put a modern screen in that thing, it makes it, you know, a million times better. So, yeah, so I, I played the entire game on that. I played the NES version on my, um, well, I actually, so I played that one with my kids, uh, reading off the map that that I had. And uh, on my Analog NT Mini Noir, that was on a big modern LCD screen, so I did not play that one on a CRT. And then the 2600 version, I played through the entire thing on a CRT with my 7800. The one concession I made to modernity, I used a, a modified NES controller that Nate Lockhart did for me so I can play 7800 games without the awful Painline joystick controller that 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 console came with. It is literally the worst controller I have ever used.
1: Yep. And that the, might be the, 7, the best. The modified NES controller that you speak of might be the best money that I've spent <laughs> in, in regards to my... Yeah, because he, he did one for you too, right? Yeah, in regards to my 7800. That's, it has changed the way I play 7800 games. It's so Well,
0: cool. and and 2600 games, because yeah, it plays all those that's too. True. That's yeah, true. I played this Yeah, the whole game I played with a D-pad. And I do not know if I would have enjoyed it as much if I would have been using one of those uh, old controllers, you know, because it's just, man, those things are just hard to hold. But I don't, I really need to get one so I can try playing these Humber games with one of the original controllers, but I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, man, gosh, is a lot of game. All right. Now that we've uh, gotten all that out of the way. Guys, let's talk about the the games. And I think we're just going to kind of touch on... I, we can kind of go in order here. You know, Game Boy Advance, NES, 2600. But I think we're just going to kind of have to bounce back and forth a little bit yeah. between
1: the, I, the I three mean, games.
2: It, it, it's this very common theme between all the games of, like, you're the hero and you're jumping around and...
1: Oh, I no, you're just walking and poking.
2: Sorry, you're right. Thank you. You're poking yes. and walking. But I don't think it's fair... To distinguish too much between the games in terms of like the the effect of what your player is doing, if somebody was had only played one of the consoles and then another person had played only another console, I think they would have a very similar conversation about how they achieved their end goal.
0: Yeah, I honestly, so you're you saying that, and like I I know you bounced off the 2600 version, but you know if you had gotten into it, I so what I did, I was a little intimidated. To play the 2600 version, I, I will be honest. So I have never played a an Atari 2600 game for longer than like ten minutes. Which, to be fair, like ninety percent of those games, they're not meant to be played for longer than like five or ten minute sessions. Okay, they're it's like one mechanic, and you just do that single mechanic over and over again to get a high score.
1: For yeah, points. That's it. This is different. Yeah, I love it.
0: This is a legit dungeon crawler. It's it's you know it's like if you took. If you started at the game adventure and just built it out to make a, a very large play field with better graphics that you can actually tell you're swinging a sword around and stuff like that, it's that kind of game. That's what it is. But I I was very intimidated to get started on it because just a just the idea of a very large 2600 game was, I I don't know, I had to warm up to that idea. But I played the NES version. And then I started the 2600 version. I was like, oh, my God, this is the same game. It just has simpler graphics. It's the same game. And that's when I I said something like this on the the Discord. And that's when Nathan was like, yeah, I just started with the code for the 2600 and I built the NES game on top of it. You know, so it's like when I'm playing the the 2600 version, I'd be walking around some dungeon like, okay, on this wall. This is a secret wall. I can go through that. And boop, there I go. I go through the wall, you know, because that's where it was on the NES version. So it is not a like a one-to-one match. There are some dungeons that are different. You know, they're rearranged a little bit. And, you know, some stuff is in different places. But it is so similar that I felt like I, you know, having the experience of playing the NES version first, it was kind of like having somebody hold my hand through the 2600 version. So it was not as intimidating. And I actually had a really good time and I swear I beat the 2600 version in one sitting. Like in one afternoon, I I had just finished the NES game, turned on the 2600 version, and I beat it in like 2 hours.
1: So you know what's funny about the 2600 version is, you know, like we you and I were talking about it being built on like almost like adventure but expanded you know and i remember the one thing that i said to you was while i was playing it i think this is the greatest compliment i could give any game was if this game had been out for the 2600 when the 2600 was in its heyday this game would be the one that i compare every other game to instead of the legend of zelda yeah
0: you would have your shelf would be like and gonna likes yes gonna
1: not likes Right. Yes. Yes. I, I could just see my, my five-year-old self getting completely sucked into this game if it was available back then. And but as a result, no, my eight-year-old self got sucked into the Legend of Zelda. <laughs> well, you know, you say that, and uh, you know, like I said, so
0: with the collector's version of the NES game comes with a fold-out map that's got the entire game map on it. And what I did, I got this idea from Matt Hewson, who did this with his kids. But I, I handed the map to my eight-year-old. And I said, I want you to tell me where to go because we gotta, I gotta, I gotta play this game for the podcast. And it's all these dungeons, and it's, I don't know where to go. I'm getting confused. So I need you to read the map for me and tell me where you want me to go next. And he got really into it. He was like the navigator, and we played through the entire game together like that. Then my my four year old got into it because he wanted to help out, you know. And they loved it. They loved the whole game. They sat there through the whole thing. And you know, when the we had a boss fight, they were getting all worked up about it and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, it was great. If I found a secret, I mean, it was like, oh my god, you know, everybody's jumping up and cheering.
1: Yeah, that was awesome. I love that experience. No, that's awesome. Does not get does not get much better than that.
0: Yeah, right. for real. So yeah, uh, some stuff I really liked. So I had fun exploring the world. You know, it is a very it is a very meat and potatoes kind of adventure game. It is, you know, I keep we keep coming back to the idea that it has no story, which I think is very interesting because I can't remember the last time i played an adventure game that just didn't bother with the story you know and it's it really does seek to replicate that zelda experience because i mean in that game it just kind of throws you in there and really it's only that very first zelda game that does that because Mm -hmm. right off the bat with zelda 2 you've got npcs everywhere you know you're visiting towns you're talking to people you know and then you got link to the past and um Link's Awakening.
2: Yeah, you wash up on a beach and you're like, Yeah, whatever. you wash up on yeah. a
0: beach and Link's Awakening. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, that one's kind of legendary for its, its NPCs. And I mean, it's, you know, or, or you go right up to today and Breath of the Wild. I mean, this is all about the story and these characters and everything. It's, but yeah, this one just strips all that away. And it's just about the actual sense of exploration. And, no,
2: it, it even goes further for me. I mean, in all the versions, it is, you know, they talk about this in, uh, film and tv and whatever and where you like you start the story in the middle of the story it's in media res right like you are yeah in so many games that are role-playing or adventure games now they feel like they have to explain oh you're in a world and the world is vast (laughs) and the vast world is so exciting and we can't wait to show you but wait we've got 20 more paragraphs to explain by the time you actually get to play the game, you're almost, like, bored of reading through text. Whereas, like, this is, like, almost... I, I would I would challenge any person playing any version of this game. You will die in the first room. <laughs> the first time you play the game, you will die in the first room. Because you will not know what the fuck is going on. And that's great. That is actually great for this game. Because it really straight away is like, oh, there's a Goblin King or there's whatever. You're in the game. Let's go. Come on. Get to it. Walky pokey. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. Like the moment I died, that was actually because I died like 30 seconds in my first playthrough. I was like, yes, let's go. We're in the game. We're straight away playing. We're straight away having to deal with the fact that we've like broken out of some prison or whatever. Like we've got a sword. we got to go. Loved it. There's no messing around with this game. You are straight away into the immediate mechanics of what the game is going to give you. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like this very strong sense of like, you are having to survive and you have to just like move forward. And like, there's no, there's no motivation given. There's nothing that the game is telling you to say like, oh, you have to like save the princess. It's just like, you're going to get fucking killed if you don't fucking move, bro. Like, let's go. <laughs>
0: Well, in the original Legend of Zelda was a lot like this. It just threw you into That's the world. That's exactly what you and said it, earlier. You know, I, it's I, like, I totally what, what's this What's this little room over here? Let's go, okay, I have a sword. All right, I'll got the sword. You know, now what do I do? Yeah. Now I say that there was additional story with the Legend of Zelda. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the manual for this in a while, but it is one of the thickest manuals oh, yeah. that you can find on the NES. It is huge.
1: I love that it comes with an incomplete map. Yes, yes, it does
0: have the incomplete map as well. Yeah. And,
2: and I, I appreciate the manual, but the manual is not an excuse to delay the gameplay. I think that like bringing people into the gameplay and then saying, like, yes, this is it, and you're into it, and then you're like, yeah. oh, I better, better, better fucking read this manual. I better get into it. I think that's a better motivator than like, oh, well, I've read the manual, and now I have to sit through the manual again in 20 paragraphs of NPC <laughs> speech. It's like maybe this is a personal preference, but like there's definitely games where it's good to have exposition and to explain what's going on. But in this type of game, I love that it just throws you right in.
1: I do, I do love that, and in these older games, I I loved reading the manual. That that's just me. Well, you know, you might be coming at it from a place of when you play a brand new game, the first thirty minutes of the game is them forcing you to read the manual. Only you're reading it on the screen instead of yeah, your hands. Right you know which is uh, that's okay I, I get it you got to learn how to play the game somehow but having something as simple as this where you're just like walk poke run ah you know yeah or die. It's coming at you. yeah and it's like okay well this this room's empty let's go to the next one and see what that is and the next and the next and the next and then before you know it i just killed the goblin king Uh, game's over woo you know
0: <laughs> yeah i kept thinking about while i was playing this um the conversation I had with Nathan at Midwest gaming classic. And this was like after the show and we were out, I think we all went and got a couple of drinks or something. We having a long conversation about, you know, I mentioned before Ian Bogost on this podcast mm-hmm. and he's a, he's a, like a digital media professor and he dabbles in philosophy and stuff like that. But he, he had an article in the Atlantic years ago and it was about the idea that, you know, people are always asking like, what's the citizen cane of video games? And the, I, the implication there is always video games are going to achieve this narrative parody with movies. You know, it, it's a parody with movies in terms of storytelling. But where Bogost kind of comes at this question is like, maybe that's the wrong question. Because, you know, what if video games are actually not very good at telling stories? What if that's not what video games are about? What if video games are about mechanics, you know, and doing things and playing with things that are on the screen. It's like, the story is is just kind of an enhancement to all that, but that is what it's about. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe the Citizen Kane of video games is like Tetris, right? <laughs> because- it, No, yeah. Yeah, so, but I was having this conversation with Nathan and he just like lit up and he's like, yes, exactly, that's exactly it. Yes, I agree with that. Video games are bad at stories. And I kept thinking about that while I was playing this game because it's just like, there is no story. And it's just- It is exactly that idea. Like, okay, save the princess, get out the door, now go do the damn thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and walk, poke, explore. And so, yeah, meat and potatoes, adventure gaming. I Yeah, I totally get it. Great concept.
1: If somebody asked me what was the Citizen Kane of video games, I would not come at it from a story angle. I would think what video game early on broke ground in a new way that every game after it, completely copied it you know what, what was first what was on the bleeding edge the way that citizen Kane was and, uh, and you want to go even farther <laughs> what person made an amazing first video game and a whole bunch of shit afterwards
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave that as well now we'll put that in the I, comments here whatever
1: <laughs> touch of evil was excellent oh yeah no citizen Kane, though no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's really good because what you're talking about is like When you strip away the narrative, you have this really interesting concept where, like, there's really nothing else to motivate the player except what they project onto the avatar that the person they're playing as. Right. And I think Anguna actually does this really well because we've all mentioned already the concept of the map. Yeah, right. The map is almost a character in the game because there's so much stripped away. Yes. Like, just just knowing the map, looking at the map, reading the map, what you're doing, like, to get, oh, where's that spot on the map I haven't been to yet? That almost becomes the narrative. And at the risk of talking about how personally I'm I'm motivated by just, like, exploring the unknown or whatever, that's enough of a narrative for me. You know? It's enough to be, like... Just filling out the map. Just filling out the map is in a game that's, let's be honest, pretty constrained compared to like, I don't know, like Breath of the Wild or something. We're not talking about some kind of like crazy like GTA five kind of map. Like, yeah, I feel like I could probably explore all this map. How can I get what can I do I need to get there? There's a block in the way. What can I do to, you know, break that block? How do I get out of this? That's enough motivation, especially when the gameplay is as quick and as fluid and you're progressing and you're like leveling up. I think that's a really great way to just structure the game. And I think that's structured really, really well.
0: Yeah, and I should say, to clarify, so the Game Boy Advance and the NES version both have maps that you pull up on a subscreen. I would say the Game Boy Advance is a little more detailed. The NES version is very abstract. It's just like a a grid with different colors on it that kind of represent when you're outside or when you're in a dungeon. The uh, 2600 also has a map so the, there's a map in the instruction book that is—it's just a drawing of a map. So you just kind of get a, a vague impression of the game. But there is actually a map that you can get on the Bite the Chili website. And I—I I really do think having a map helps, especially with a game like that that is very abstract. And
2: there's a couple of hidden hidden doors and hidden rooms and things. Yeah.
0: So on the uh, twenty six hundred version, when you pull up the your sub screen that's got your you know your weapons and your stats and and uh, it's got a password on it, you hit the. The black and white button on the console. Yes, that's that's what that freaked me out. I was like, the black and white <laughs> button is my map. What? I love that idea. That is pretty common on those old Atari okay, games. So th- this they, just
2: this dates me more than it dates. Yeah, the game. Like, yeah. I just don't get it. I'm not. No,
0: I get it. You were kind of struggling with the the console. I think. Yeah. No, that was you know you only had one button on the controller, so right. it's like, well, what do you want to do? If you want to do literally anything else, you had to use the buttons on the console.
2: You just like reach into yes. the console like it's like within nes like well do i reset or power down yeah i'm like okay so i have to like reach to those kind of buttons on the atari okay that's kind of weird
0: yeah it is like that well and this is what i'm saying like i you can't communicate that in an emulator you know it's just not the same experience like i was sitting there i have a little bitty crt it's like i don't know how big it is i would say maybe it's like 12 inches but it was sitting on a table in front of my knees with the 7800 next to it. So it's like if I needed to pull up the thing, I would just reach forward and like hit the button. And
1: it's like, this is how I would have played this back in the day. Yeah. How long were the Atari controller cords? Three feet, maybe? Yeah. We're right. sitting here in the age of Bluetooth controllers where you can sit all the way across on the other side of the room. Whereas I've, I distinctly remember sitting so close to the TV playing Space Invaders that my mom was like, back up. You're going to fry your eyeballs. <laughs> But I, yeah, I mean, that's a thing where you
0: kind of have to play with the actual console to get to appreciate why that's there. But yeah. Fair, fair. I I will mention on the Atari 2600, you can use a save key or Atari Vox. So that's like little peripherals that you can get from Atari age. I don't have those. I use the password and I, it's a long ass password. I didn't find it that hard to enter. You know, thankfully now I have a phone and I can just take a picture of the password, Mm. which I did. I actually hit, um. When I died at the Goblin King, which is the very last boss in the game, it booted me out and it restarted the game. And thankfully, I had just taken a picture of the <sighs> password, and so now I have a password that takes me right to the final boss. So, nice. But yeah.
1: oh boy, I would have been pissed. Zero zero seven three seven three five nine six three. That's right. No, one thing I really liked about the Game Boy Advance, I I thought
2: the
0: graphics were really good.
2: Oh, my God, dude. The graphics on the GBA version. Like, I've heard you talking earlier here about, like, oh, I got a really good screen. Like, these graphics are so detailed. Like, for an indie game, for whatever, these are great, great detailed graphics. Just a really simple example is, like, when you do the pause screen and you're, like, looking through the enemies you've already beaten, Yes, every enemy is given such detail. It's like a full screen. Graphic. Yes, you're talking about a very large. It's like a portrait of it the really
0: enemy. Is. character. and they look fantastic. They, they look, look so really good.
1: good. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I don't think I got to see what the Goblin King looks like on oh, that screen. My God, dude, it looks so good. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot
2: <laughs> to look. It's weird because it's like it's better on the on the pause screen than when you're fighting. Sometimes, in fact, mm-hmm. oftentimes, but like it's great. It's great because like that's actually how you establish a logic for why certain enemies are harder to beat. Because it also gives you the attack defense of each enemy. And yeah, so that's, that's right. why when you look back you're like, oh, why the fuck was that spider or wasp so hard to kill? You're like, oh, okay. So they've got that defense stat. Okay, so I gotta <laughs> right, like yes. work on my stat on whatever. Really, really helpful. Like it it just like it provides this kind of like when you when you're doing a walkie pokey and you're literally just, like, you know, firing your sword or arrows or whatever it is, whatever is on the screen, it can feel oftentimes kind of random. Yeah. And I think it's really helpful that the game provides you a logic of, like, no, every time you see this enemy, you should expect this is their attack and defense stat. You should expect that, like, you're going to have to have a hard time working. We didn't just, like, randomly generate the stats for this enemy. And that for me, actually motivated me because it meant that, like, like this is one enemy that will, like, the, the toad enemy that's, like... Oh, God, really, I hit those
0: fucking, like, especially right, the gold ones. Jesus right, Christ.
2: they're, like, really tanky. right? They can take a lot of hits. Mm-hmm. But, like, it didn't feel random. You know, like, if, if you're doing one of these kind of games, it will just demotivate me immediately if they have random st- like stats. <laughs> <laughs> I need sure. to know if I... Because if you're walking into a room and you have to clear a room, you need to be able to see and be like, okay, what do I have to do to clear
0: this room? Well, it's also in terms of their mechanics, like their motions are yeah, also yeah. very predictable. So like those those frog guys, especially, you can use the environment to kind of block them mm. and get them trapped yes, where they're 100%. trying to come after you. And that, that's how you got to kill that's them. That's a whole part of the game, right? That's a it's whole part of the game. game. Right. You learn how to beat every single enemy, like how they move. Right. You know, and what like, their like weaknesses are and whatever. And like, right. if you
2: can do that, I feel like, yes, this is a great game because it's, difficult in some ways. It's giving me the opportunity to optimize or like get better. Like I can find a strat to like make this work for me. Right. Be when you are just like walking into room after room, if there was no pause screen that showed you all those stats, I would actually probably feel a lot more frustrated with the game.
0: Really? Hmm. Yeah.
2: For real. I would actually feel a lot more frustrated because I would not be able to connect the dots. Because like if you imagine your attack stat and your defense that are going up mm-hmm. and you're like getting these like you know other weapons like the bow and arrow and stuff. I don't want to have to keep track of all of that and then also figure out what the stats are that are hidden yeah, for these enemies. Right. So just saying it explicitly, it sounds so mundane, but actually made me really engaged with the game. I was like, yes, I'm kicking ass on these blue fucking slimes <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> just doing it. You know, on the flip side of that the you know like what you said those fucking yellow toads you know they're like seven hits then you get like you power up you get the ring and it's two hits and it's like oh shit i'm walking through this game oh
2: dude by the time you get the ring you're just like Uh,
1: but the vampires got me every single time because those were you know three or four hits to kill but every time they hit you they take like half your energy and so i i died to those vampires more than any other enemy in the game. It was
0: actually pretty funny. You did when we were doing. The, oh,
1: um, we were doing the, boss the dungeon the, rush oh every God. single time. The vampires
0: would get you. Yep. Well, they're actually worse on the um, on the Atari, Atari the uh, Game Boy Advance, because they spew out these red bats. They do. They it,
2: spew the red bats. But here's what, for me, and this is one of the things that straight away I just could not get at the twenty six hundred. I just couldn't understand what the fuck a hitbox was on a 2600. Fair
0: enough. It is a little challenging. Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: And I am not used to that at all. And like the GBA, it is tight. Like when you are, again, we've spoken about this on other like recordings as well, where like if you're going to do something, like think about like a shmup or whatever, where it's like the whole point of the game is to be able to hit the enemy and have a good idea of when you're going to be able to hit or not hit. The GBA is solid. There is, There was no time at any point where I was like, oh, I felt unfair or like I got like hit by an enemy that I shouldn't feel like I should have been hit by. No, the clear hitbox area is there. I used to talk about the first room you're in. I took so long to get out of the first room <laughs> in 2600. I was dying, dude. I could not handle it. Because that hitbox just smothered me from <laughs> the first moment I came in.
1: You know, the only issue I had with any of that hitbox stuff was the fact that the sword kind of came out from the right and then went forward. Yeah. And I always kind of thought... Were well, well, you talking about okay. the NES? Yeah, on the NES version. Okay. That you could,
2: um, There's almost a delay of it coming all the way out.
1: But I also thought, mm. like, okay, if the guy is... Like, if you're here... And the guy's right one square above you. You'll kill him. But also, maybe if he's over here, because the sword swipes mm-hmm. through that square, never worked.
0: But yeah, some Nick, games might do that. But no, didn't this you say Nick that the it's sword... not a walkie it's not a
1: walkie swipey part.
0: I guess it's a walkie, a walkie, a walkie poke. They got to be right in front of it. So Speaking they can of, poked, of pokey right?
1: on the on the twenty six hundred version, didn't you say that when we were playing it here on my seventy eight hundred? Okay, so yes, okay, yes, yes, yes. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, okay, so.
0: This was a weird thing. I actually so when I was playing the 2600 version, we talked about the hitbox and stuff like that. To me, that's all about managing like knowing where the sword is because if you are facing vertically, it will come out of a different location from your player character than if you're if you are facing horizontally, okay? So it's knowing that is part of your strategy. Now saying that, when I was playing this thing at home on my TV on my 7800 The sword, when he was standing horizontally, looked like it was coming out of his eyes, your player character. And in fact, I was going to make a joke about this on the podcast because to shoot arrows, you hold down on the button and then the arrow, like you just, you fling out your sword and then the sword keeps going and it looks like a laser beam or something. That's your arrow, right? And I thought it was cool because it looks like he's shooting, shooting laser beams out of his eyes. And then I go over to Bart's house and I put the cartridge in and we're playing this game. The sword is coming out of what looks like his belt. Which I have to say, laser beams coming out of your pants is a lot funnier yeah. than out of your eyes. Now, I don't understand why at Bart's house, your player character is whipping it out. You don't <laughs> where, really know what my <laughs> 78 is my house. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Maybe somebody can explain the tech to me, but I swear to God, I'm going to post photos of this on the Discord. Because I, unless I am absolutely out of my mind... On my console, this thing, the stuff was coming out of uh, the, the character's eyes. And okay? you did
1: take a picture on my console, correct?
0: I did. And it okay. is quite funny. Yeah, oh, right? yeah. Because that sword is definitely coming straight out of that character's pants. I, I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. Okay. So
2: all, all I want to do is go back to the graphics and say the graphics are really good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I really like the graphics. That's what that said. Yes, with that said. The graphics on the twenty six hundred are are really impressive. Like your character has a face, for Christ's sake! How many Atari games does your character have a face? Like, really? Yeah. You know that level alone, that level of detail is impressive. I mean, but,
2: for me, like the the GBA version, I mean, it's just like a Snes game taken to another level. Everything is just like hyper detailed, yeah. hyper colorful, hyper interactable with. Right?
0: like well those... that's why I'm so glad that I played it on a, a very nice modern screen so that mm-hmm. I could see all that stuff it would be
1: terrible if I were playing it on an original GB no I, I think that's fair it.
2: and it's a, it's a curse of the console itself but yeah
1: yeah right didn't you also say you briefly played it on your gigantic movie screen
0: <laughs> oh out it yeah that's right I played the Game Boy Advance. version. no I yeah we I played it on your movie screen I borrowed your 24 inch inflatable movie screen in, and I played it in my foot. backyard. Twenty-four foot, twenty-four yes. foot. Yeah, I said yeah. twenty-four foot movie screen, and I played it in my backyard. The Game Boy Advance version. Yeah, no, but uh, no. Talking about the graphics, you know, you said the character portraits. That was actually one of my kids' favorite things. Yeah, because when you kill an enemy, it registers them yes. in your character logs, and so if you see a new enemy,
2: you want to kill it. Yes, it's just these, it's these strange little incentives that build up in the game. It's like. Because like, in a lot of the walkie-pokey mechanic, you're like, what the fuck is that? I don't want to kill it. That's going to kill me. But if you're like, what if I kill one? Yes. I will not only get a rad portrait of it, I will now know it's attack and <laughs> defense stats. So that's actually a really good incentive for me to just try and kill this new enemy. It's actually really nicely balanced. Not in so much in like a kind of, like, because you can arrive in a place on the map where you're like way outclassed but it's really balanced in terms of like incentivizing progression. Yeah. When you have no narrative and you have no reason to progress, how do you make the player progress? You do the things that are in Anguna. It's really, really good.
0: Yeah, that, that was my kid's favorite thing. Every single time I would kill an enemy, they would be like, push start, push start. Look at the, look at the character. Because they want to go like, look at, oh, look, wow, that one's really tough. It's got like 12 defense points or something. So like, Every single time. You know, one last thing I want to say. I don't know if I gushed enough about this. Is this the, the last thing you're going to say? You literally is this it the say, last this thing is the I'm last gonna say. thing I'm going to say. It.
2: And this is me and Brock, the rest of the podcast.
0: Nice. The Atari version, I cannot stress how impressive it is to be playing this just massive, seeming game. Now, I have to say, I do wonder if I had not just played the NES version right before I played this game. And it is, it is you know, the NES version, which is built on the architecture of this game would I have had as pleasant of an experience? I have no idea how to answer that. But, you know, I can say, like, it was so similar. Like, I was even using, using like, the same strategies to defeat certain enemies. You know, like, I'm going to stay on this side of the room, and I'm going to wait until I shoot. and say. I mean, it was the same, same way of beating, like, the fire-shooting crocodile or whatever. Exactly the same.
2: This is maybe one of my areas where I feel it's like I, I didn't enjoy it as much. When you're in a walkie Pokey game, and it's, it's let's be honest, it's kind of a grindy game, right? There is some grinding involved. You're progressing through dungeons, just screen to screen. You're, you're doing one thing after another. I like that. But if you've played through that whole game on one platform, it can be difficult to motivate yourself to repeat that challenge on another platform. And that's, I think, what stopped me from really getting into the 2600 and the NES version, personally. Yeah, that's fair. Because... Let's be honest, Like I, I completed a fair amount of the GBA game and I loved exploring every inch of that game. I really got into like, OK, there's this particular weapon I got, which is like dynamite. What else can I blow up? What else can I do? How can I get these little things? Where can I go? Is there a place on the map I haven't been? But that honestly kind of demotivated me when I like booted up the NES version the first time. With well, the twenty six hundred version, I was like, "Oh wow, this is the same first dungeon. Oh wow, I just got killed. Okay, wow. <laughs> Whew. yeah. Maybe I'm not going to come back to this right away. <laughs>
0: like, well, it just, it I wasn't... don't know how many people would be playing all three of these games back to back if they weren't. You know, I mean, like we're doing Fair. it for a specific project Fair. here. But you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would recommend if anybody else comes across it, you know, take a little, take a little breather. Well, I guess would, this is the question: you
2: know, if 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 somebody was deciding which platform to play this on for the first time.
0: Mm, that's a tough one.
2: That is a tough one. Now, I know what my vote is, but I want to hear what your vote is.
0: Wow. You know, I honestly, of the three versions that I played, I feel like the NES is maybe the most fully realized. This might be a good question for the end, because I have a couple of critiques I want to talk about. Well, but this, I think it leads into the critiques because it's
2: like, okay, I think it's a valid question because people who are listening to the podcast want to know what we're we're doing. But at the same time, I would say my preferred version is the GBA version. Right. But there are serious problems I
0: have with the GBA version. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of those. Yeah. I mean, my take on, on the GBA version, it does feel a little bit rough around the edges. I, you know, it's, it definitely feels like an indie game, but both in good and bad ways. So I would say my first criticism would say, I I think the music loops. Oh my God, the music, dude, the music is exactly where I would say is the failure of the PBA version.
2: <laughs> Thank you for calling that out.
0: So it has these, this kind of like, you know, orchestral adventure game kind of feel to it, but it's on these loops and the loops are very short. Okay. And my initial impression of the music was like okay i i like this i'm into this let's go let's adventure you know and but the thing is is that like after it loops and loops and loops and loops and loops i was like okay i'm so done hearing this music it, and it it really is there's only like maybe like i don't know just off the top of my head i would say like maybe three four or five different songs in the game that that's fair i think that's what we've got yeah yeah, there's not a whole lot of variety. You know, the different dungeons don't have different music or anything. It's all the same kind of dungeon music, and it's the same loop. And I have to be completely honest, by about maybe a third of the way through the game, I just started listening to other music while I was playing the game. I might have been listening to podcasts or something like that. Now, that doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the experience of the game, but it was, it was just like I did not feel like I needed the music anymore. Dead silence would have been fine with me, which is, in fact, what you get on the Atari version. Right, dead silence, and I,
1: I preferred the silence. <laughs> that is my criticism of the NES version: was that the music got old so fast. Really, you thought uh, the yeah. NES version? Really? I, okay, I, cool. I this is interesting to hear. I thought it was really good. I really, yeah, I was going. to No, it was good. There's a difference between it being good and between it getting old. Okay, okay, okay. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's only so many times I could hear that overworld music, and it's got to the point where I just, yeah, I see. I I think I played the second half of this game while I was listening to the Donald Fagan album, The Nightfly.
2: That is an amazing (laughs) album. So, that's The Nightfly is a, that is the best mastered album potentially of all time.
1: So (laughs) fucking good. I think it took me two full listens. Through that album to finish the game, I G Y, just an incredible song. Oh, New Frontier is amazing. The last two, the last two tracks on that album, just back to back. Oh, like the greatest seven minutes of music. But so here's
2: Nick mentioned this earlier about like okay, so the like the music on the GBA version was repetitive. I would actually make a, a little bit of a worse kind of like criticism. The NES version. Is actually better music, and the reason why is because the GBA version has better instrumentation. It has like more okay. synths and different like sure. pads that you can use, and different you know ways of expressing the the music. But an adventure game has to drive you forward. The music has to make you feel mm-hmm. like you're moving forward. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, and the rhythm of the GBA game music on the overworld is not a rhythm that drives you forward. It is actually a 7-4 time, that's what I counted out, of like this kind of like odd offbeat kind of rhythm that sounds kind of cool for the first three or four minutes, mm-hmm. but it actually kind of puts you off. It doesn't drive you forward. Like, you want, Bart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring in your like shelves here. You want a Zelda-like <laughs> beat, right? I know. The reason, yeah. one of the reasons, in my opinion, zelda works is it's like and you're just like moving forward it's almost like galloping
0: it is it's
2: like i have to move for and like when you're like like it's not like really pushing you into like this sense of oh i have an adventure to conquer I felt more in a walkie-pokey mood by turning the music off. And that's like <laughs> possibly the worst thing I could say about that GBA version. But the NES game actually had a really strong 4 4 beat. It actually had a really yeah, good I really Yeah, I had no complaints about the music. I them. really liked the NES music. And if I could put the NES music into the GBA game, that would actually... Mm, yeah. I actually would really, really like that
1: you know, like, like I said, there's, no, there's, it's not that the music was bad. It's just that it got old. I'm sure if I had just listened to the nightfly through the entire playthrough, <laughs> by the third <laughs> playthrough, I'd get tired of that too. I think you I know. think
2: Donald Fagan should make an Anguna.
1: Right. oh my god it would be so complicated and it would take him like five years to do yeah.
0: it uh, the yeah it, project. some, some homebrewer out there needs to do like steely day on the nes game
1: oh that would be so awesome that's a that's a rafter not project right there get on do it. it do it rafter not <laughs> oh my god i would buy it i would play it i would play it again
2: but i think like there's I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the game that's like. Like, most of my notes, by the way, for the game are like, you can't have more than three life potions, winged boots in tomb dungeon, kind of random door open sequence. Like, it, it's a very <laughs> yeah. weird, like, way to kind of, like, review the game because it's so kinetic. There's a lot of things in the game where you're just kind of in the middle of the dungeon, you're doing the thing that needs to be done. And then. I mean, a review is almost superfluous to just, like, getting in. Like, if anybody's listening to this, and they're just like, hmm, should I play this game? Yeah, you should fucking play the game, right? Absolutely. 100%. I don't think any of us would debate it. And you can pick your platform based on whatever you prefer. But don't feel it's a kind of a game where you have to, like, analyze stuff. (laughs) Like, it's not an analytical game.
1: This is actually the first game where I actually wrote down a pros and cons list. Mm, Um, Oh, wow. What here's my cons. Here's my cons list. Number one, those switches in the oh. giant dungeon, having to backtrack to go through the switches. That, whatever. That was just <laughs> one of those things that just bugged me a little bit. But then again, once I, this is this is me writing it down while I'm playing. Like, oh, the fucking switches! Goddamn switches!
0: The other that thing was, very, was yeah, was very Zelda-like, but it was it was more like a that was kind of a link to the past kind of Zelda-like. Yeah, you know,
1: there was the sword swing thing that I talked about earlier. Yeah, and then. <laughs> The last one I have in quotes, here's what I said music got old AF. So, <laughs> okay, that's, that's real. That was the last thing I wrote down in my cons list. Now, my pros, that's list, a pretty short cons list. Yeah, my pros yeah. list is about twice as long. See, yes, and I think I've talked about all of them. Yeah, I was talking to you guys
0: earlier about the um, how they the platform kind of sets your expectations for the game, yes. Okay, And this is interesting to me because, you, you know, we, we've talked about the lack of story and how it's it's kind of a positive, you know. But this is the kind of thing where I was, my initial impression of this was playing it on the Game Boy Advance, which ha- is more similar to, say, a Super Nintendo game, right? Yes. I expect a slightly different experience on that. Like, if you had had Zelda, the original Zelda, but on the Super Nintendo I think people might have felt like the game was a little too limited, Okay. you know, because you're bringing your expectations for games on that platform when you play the game. So my initial impression was that the game felt very kind of Spartan. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have any towns to go to. You don't have people to talk to. You don't have a story, so to speak, even though on the Game Boy Advance, you have this kind of Super Nintendo look, you could pack a lot of information into that. He doesn't. He foregoes all that just to get down to the actual gameplay. And I think on the twenty six hundred, the NES, that's fine. On the Game Boy Advance, my initial impression, and I've I've softened on this, but my initial impression was I wanted more. You know, I wanted mm. a little bit more fleshed out. Now I didn't feel that when I played it on the NES, and I certainly didn't feel it on the twenty six hundred because, like, what are my expectations of the twenty six hundred? I was just impressed the character out of face, right? <laughs> Right, like you know, I didn't expect any kind of dialogue or anything like that. Uh, so, I don't know. I I think that's what you bring to the console. What your your own expectations? What you bring to the gameplay? I
2: you know, think I, the the only thing I would add to that because I think it's a really good point is like you bring expectations to the gameplay mm-hmm. when you're playing one of these games and you have high resolution graphics for a you know two D game. One of the only things that Really identifies a interesting graphical component is the fact that there are many different NPCs. And by removing the NPC area of the whole game, it made it more challenging to make those distinguishing features in the game, right? I think mm. when I think about the GBA game, I mm. think about how there was a real strong component of the there was a graveyard area. I feel like there was so much detail put into that like every gravestone was given a different sprite or whatever and that was their own like way of putting a sp- thing out but it was only in one area of the game like there was so many yeah, other areas right. like like to be honest like one of the things that i think was kind of silly about the GBA game was like you can cut you know bushes the way you would in Zelda right you would like yeah like
0: to the past kind of right. and like but when you yeah.
2: cut them like a blood spurt comes up. It actually goes like, (laughs) like blood going uh, up. It's sap. Yeah, sap. It's It's red sap (laughs) from this bush. And like, I understand why technically they did it that way. But it it just kind of like diminishes the distinguishing features between the different areas that you go to in the game because everything Mm -hmm. just goes (laughs) when you put a sword to it. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And it's mm. it's things like that that like I think don't show how much thought went into the game because I know a lot of thought went into the game, but by the mm. fact of reusing these little small you know textures or whatever, it undermines that narrative that the game is trying to present.
0: Well, and I think that's kind of what I was getting at when I say it feels like an indie game in both positive and negative ways because that's the kind of thing you would see in an indie yeah, game. I think that's know. a very, I think it's a fair point. Trying to do a lot with a limited number of assets
1: well you know you, you talk about going into this with expectations set right so i'm playing the nes version with the map i'm looking at the map and i see there's a gigantic dungeon that's locked behind a castle right yes and i'm thinking the entire game oh that's the last dungeon that's that's huge it's just like the last dungeon in zelda so I'm I'm playing through it and I get everything done and I try to immediately go to that final dungeon which is in the upper left hand corner and I'm blocked. I'm like wait a second. This is not this is the last dungeon, not the big one. And like the fact that you go through the big one and you essentially beat the game there and then well you don't because that last right because a, a boss rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? A, yeah. and like the fact that that was the last part that you had to play through it was That's like my biggest praise for this game is that I was not expecting it.
2: No, I I Mm. totally get what you're saying. I love that because it's like you think the the fact that it's like a very 2D map and you can be like planning out where you're going. Oh, I know where I'm going. I know what the end is going to be. I understand what's going to happen. No, that's not the way the game plays it to you. And I think that's a really good point. You can, Mm -hmm. even in these really structured, what you might call like linear paths, it's very easy to still give the player a surprise or something new to, under, you know, to understand or discover. I think that's a really good point.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I like boss rushes and sometimes I don't. I, I thought here it works fine because it's, you know, it's not, not a very long boss rush. And by that point, you're so powerful. you just like completely mow these guys down. Oh yeah. It yeah. Feels yeah. good. Yeah. You know, I, like I mean, that. for
2: the record, so, I, cause I know this is something we talk about on other episodes. I did not, use uh, save states okay. except for the very last boss. The very, very last boss, I did use a save state but I, I feel like that was just because I was really impatient at that point.
0: I probably yeah. could be I'll give you a pass on it, but I'm pretty sure I died at that pl- boss and I think it just starts you over in the room outside.
1: <laughs> yes. so. I did play the final dungeon all the way through until I beat it there was no turning it off and coming back to it I will say that. Yeah
0: well, I mean, I I wrote down the password, right? So, is that is that like save state?
1: You know, the game gave me that. Not right? purists. You know, now that now that we you said you just said that I did not write down a single password for the game, so I may well, have, you
0: didn't that one. It, uh, that one has a, a save battery.
1: It does. It has, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, no, did I A-S. did I play it in one go? No, um, no, no, no. That
0: was the password's only on the twenty six hundred. Okay. You know, you're talking about how the game just kind of tells you where to go. So my experience with all three of these. So one of the reasons why I wanted to pick this game for the podcast was because all three of these games, I tried to play, I I picked them up and I, I just kind of noodled around with them. And what I kept doing was I would get done with the first dungeon and then I would exit the first dungeon and the game does not necessarily tell you where to go next. It definitely doesn't. You know, and it, you just keep walking. You're in an overworld area, and you just kind of walk and, and walk and walk, and you'll hit a wall, and you know maybe turn around and go the other direction, hit another wall, something like that. So on all three of these games, I had a similar experience like that, and every single time, I was like, man, this looks good. I want to play this, but I don't have time for this right now. You know, So I put the game aside, and I might come back to it months later, and what do I do? I play that opening dungeon again, and then I have the same experience. I walk out And it's wide open, and I'm like, shit, now what? Now, I did not know there was a damn map in the box on the NES version. That was Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a map that I bought, okay, that I paid extra for. Right, and what I'm saying is, like, the map is a character in this game. (laughs) Right. So once I realized that there was a map, it wasn't that big of a deal, and I was like, okay, now I see i got to fill in the maps. I did not realize that in the beginning. And every single time, I just, I felt a little overwhelmed just walking outdoors, the agoraphobia set in, and I just turned the game off. You know, so I don't know. Maybe that's the game. Maybe that's me. If I would have known that there was a map on all the different versions, if I'd known that if I'd had that in my hand, I wouldn't have had that experience. But I did not know that coming out of the gate. So I did want to mention the grinding. There's a little bit of grinding, like for arrows and health and stuff like that. All three of the games, I did a small amount of that. I didn't think it was too bad, but it is there. If people
1: really dislike grinding,
0: I mean, if you, if you hate grinding, you probably hate NES games.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> fair enough. Okay. okay, I don't. I didn't feel like I had to do it enough to where I thought that it was grinding. You know, I just felt I like so. I naturally had the right amount of arrows by the time I got to where I needed. I to would
2: drive. feel the same way. I I don't feel it was like unreasonable, like or like maybe oh, I was no. only on my arrows too hard. I don't know. The, the only grinding was like you, you know, have to go and fight people and that's kind of what your job is in the game. So yeah.
0: Well, I know like on the NES version, when I did the final boss rush, like I really needed a lot of arrows. Because I that's how I beat most of those bosses. And if I was not tanked up on it, I I had to get like ninety nine arrows or else I wasn't going in there. But I did use almost all of them. All right. Are these games too easy? Or are they too difficult? Or are they just
1: right? No. It's Goldilocks.
0: Deluxe. I think it's pretty cool, Deluxe. I think it's,
2: okay. it's pretty cool. Like, for me and for, for me. me. Mm-hmm. I, like, uh, I want to turn on a game. I want to play it. And within 20 minutes, I want to get somewhere further than where I was before I started the game. Okay. And that's what I was able to do whenever I turned on Anguna. And that's honestly pretty pretty solid. I always was able to look at this game and find a way to make progression. That's actually kind of goldilocks for me like that's <laughs> like good enough.
0: All right. Let's take a short break. We're going to listen to some of the music from the NES game. From the NES right. game, yes. All right. So here's the uh, little bit of music from Anguna for NES. <laughs> We are back to have some final words on Anguna. You know, Nathan is, of course, in our Discord where he he comments on his account, which is uh Guau. It's like G U A U U U something. I wrong. always think of that band Guar.
2: You know, the meat sandwich Guar. one. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. If you meet Nathan, like he's like the opposite of Guar. <laughs> like it's like the opposite experience of watching Guar. He's a he's a very mild kind of guy. No, but his own critiques. Yeah, the NES version has a little less interactivity than he would like, and that is because it is a straight port of the 2600 version, and so he does regret not adding more interaction. His biggest regret is the lack of direction in the beginning. He wanted to capture some of that open-world feel of the original Zelda, but he felt it was too open on Anguna, and people end up wandering vaguely. So that's kind of what I was saying. Oh, yes. know. When I didn't know that there was a map, like that was exactly my experience with it. I'm, I'm saying, Nathan, you did a great job. I really
2: enjoyed <laughs> being thrown into it in the middle of it, and I don't have any regrets. Love it.
0: So, other folks on the Discord. Daru2 says it's great fun. He says of the NES version, it is great fun. The sprite work is great, and the play control is smooth. It's a little on the easy side. They finished it in two hours on the first playthrough, but that is fine. Dead Eye was a beta tester on the NES version. He says, it's such a
1: great game. You know, they talk about it being a little on the easy side. But uh, at this stage of my life, I would much rather a game be a little on the easy side than a little on the hard side. Because uh, no, I, 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 uh, I got it. time for that.
0: I felt, yeah, I think you guys are right. I think it's difficult enough. You know, I think it's difficult on the different platforms for different reasons. Sure. But I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's appropriately balanced for all every console it's on. Matt Houston had a couple things to say. And Guna was a really special experience for me, something that went beyond the game itself. I played this with my two daughters who were four and seven-year-olds old at the time, so about the spread of my kids. I took control of the main character in this fairly basic Zelda-like, while my kids tracked my position on the pack-and-paper Mac, looked up information in the manual. It was kind of like a condensed version of playing The Legend of Zelda for NES, where friends would exchange ideas and hints as we slowly pieced together the open world and dungeons. Yes, completely agree with that. Yes. Thank you, Matt Houston. No, and so Not had some really good comments. What I find so fascinating about the Zelda-like in the modern context is how many different directions it can be taken and how satisfying the results can be. Most of the Zelda-likes I'm familiar with tend to choose later iterations of their template. Yeah, so he's talking about Link's Awakening, Link to the Past, you know, maybe more influential on game design as a whole. What he likes about Anguna is that it just tosses all that out in the uh, narrative design to focus on the, the mechanics that are in the first game, with the emphasis on dungeon crawling. There's a refreshing simplicity to Anguna that the Zelda series quickly abandoned in favor of heavy NPC usage and narrative story. Yeah, exactly like we were saying. Beauty of the original Legend of Zelda is how immersive the lack of narrative story feels, in hindsight. While narrative can often push the player forward in anticipation of the next significant event, sometimes it just muddies the player's ability to inhabit the role of the protagonist and experience the feeling of a real adventure. Connor, did you crib from this guy when you were making this? This is the funniest thing. Like, I don't think <laughs> it's
2: hard okay. to make these inferences. No, for yeah, real, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not.
0: Oh, look at this! Look at this! In fact, so this is how Raptor not wraps up. In fact, due to its simplicity, Anguna feels more like a spiritual successor to Atari's Adventure, as the original Legend of Zelda must have felt at the time of its release. Like, it's, it's not
2: unrealistic to make these inferences because one of the things that I hold very true to myself in a lot of what I do and a lot of what I admire is the saying, like, something is not finished when there's nothing more to add. It's finished when there's nothing left to take away. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Guna is a great example of this. Whether it's on the 2600, the NES, or the GBA, there's nothing extra There's nothing that feels like it's kind of put in just for, like, decoration or because it feels like it has to be in there. You really feel like you are getting the core Anguna experience on every platform. Hmm. That's really, really hard to do. I really admire the way the developer has presented the game, has optimized for each console, obviously, and, you know, made it tailored to each particular experience. But I think it's a really, really great example of stripping down the walkie-pokey experience <laughs> to its bare essentials and making it really engaging for anybody who plays it.
0: Well, shit, I don't have anything to add to that. Me either. All right. Connor Nash with the final words on Anguna. Where do you get this game? I'm just going to make it simple. Links to everything that we've talked about here. All three of these games are available through bitethechili.com. You go there. Find the ROMs, find the cartridges, everything is at bitethechili.com. And we will have a link to that in the show notes. Although, that's not hard to type out if you just want to do that. All right, guys. Shit, we talked about this game a long-ass time. Mm-hmm. We talked about some other stuff, but this is a this is worth talking about. Yeah. All right. Got some uh, news. Got some news. I, love the news. I news. I can see what's oh, coming up news. on the news,
2: and I love the news because we are like... On a, well, we have to catch up on the news.
0: That's true. Well, yeah. Well, okay. So there's, uh, yeah, I I have, actually, I'm not abreast of much of the news anymore because I don't uh, get on X. I don't get on Twitter anymore. So I feel like I'm actually out of the loop. I'm trying to get everybody to go over to Blue Sky. Blue Sky seems to be the highest concentration of homebrew people. Is that the fact? This is is really interesting. I'm curious to know if it's, I think it's a three-way tie right now between Threads, Blue Sky, and Mastodon. No, I I agree, but in terms of, like, specifically the people that I see on there that Mm. I follow in this homebrew community, I feel like Blue Sky is approaching a critical mass where I can feel like that's where I'm going to start getting my news. It's not there yet, but it is closer than the other two. Mastodon just makes it hard for me to follow.
2: No, I'm not going to defend Mastodon, even though it's my preferred one, but it's like, yeah, things are influx right now, and it's really unclear where the critical mass is going to gather.
0: Yeah. Well, I have noticed a big rush just in the last few days. As we we're recording, I guess it was earlier this week, Elon Musk hinted that he might make people start paying for X.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: everybody. Not like no, no, like I,
1: everybody. i just like No, no, I can't even
2: laugh. The only reason I can't laugh is because I'm like, yeah, he could actually Pretend like that's a real option.
1: I feel like he's. I think he should do it. Is he trolling he the world? Like he just wanted to shut down Twitter and he's just doing it slowly so it doesn't look deliberate?
0: Well, I mean, this is. You should have yeah. come on our
2: podcast,
1: Bart. Oh, I was going to say,
0: Bart, did you listen to the podcast? You weren't I, on? I actually <laughs> did not. <laughs> we talked about this. Well, everybody should go listen to it. It's uh, the episode in the feed previous to this one.
1: I don't even listen to the parts of this podcast where I'm not talking.
2: You actually have an AI <laughs> that helps yeah. you just like mute me and Nick all the way
0: through. Yep,
2: technology works. That's it.
0: Okay, I, I talk about uh, news. So <laughs> there is big news that even I like had to come across, even with my uh, ex. Um, you know, self-imposed exile. Exile. Get that. Exile. Hey. <clears> hey. <throat> no. So. Uh, so Atari Age which is historically been very important, an important forum, an important website to the development of homebrew, not just for Atari platforms, but I would say a lot of the conventions that started on Atari age kind of spread over to other platforms. I can certainly say there was a direct relation between the homebrew scene at Atari age and and what they got up to on Nintendo age years later. So Atari Age, very important to Atari Homebrew. You can still buy Atari Homebrew there for all different platforms. I would say it is the number one place to buy Atari Homebrew. So get this. Atari Age has been purchased. The entire website has been bought out by none other than Atari. Fuck off. The actual Atari, or you know, whoever has that Atari brand now, has bought Atari Age. I don't believe you. Yes. Absolutely.
2: Why would true. they do this? What's the rationale?
0: What's going on? I don't know. The people who currently own Atari, which is a, a brand that has been run into the ground over and over again throughout the last several decades, are actually doing some kind of interesting stuff with it. I agree. You that. know, so they're they're releasing new games, not just like iterations on, on old Atari stuff for, you know, PC and other platforms, but like actual Atari 2600 games, like brand new games. There's a, a brand new game called Mr. Run and Jump, a game in which you do, in fact, run and jump. But I got to play this. Uh, this summer, they had the guys who made it at uh, Mis- Missouri Game Con, Mo Game Con. They had the whole thing set up. I was playing it on the um, on the actual 2600. And uh, put together Atari 50, which is this fantastic collection of... It's by Digital Eclipse. It, it is one of these... Uh, digital Eclipse makes these fantastic... Like uh, I think I talked about this on the podcast before, but it, this wonderful, almost like a museum, it's like a digital museum of all these games, the history of Atari, and it's got interviews with, with old executives and, and developers on, on some of these games, and it's got everything you want to know. It's got pictures of the arcade cabinets, it's got, it's got the, the home ports of these games, and it's such a wonderful experience. So this company has been doing some really interesting stuff with the brand the fact that they went and they actually bought Atari age is just wild. That is like a nuclear bomb going off in the world of, of homebrew. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, but this explains why Atari age was having this huge sale a few months ago because they are trying to clear out a lot of these ports. So uh, the way that Atari homebrew works on this podcast, we don't often consider ports or hacks to be homebrew games. That's not what we're talking about, but Conventionally, those are considered homebrew, and on Atari age, if you say homebrew, you can just as likely be talking about an arcade port as anything else. So their, their store was full of ports of arcade games, classic arcade games, to the 2600 and the 5200 and 7800. A lot of those have been cleared out, and it is apparently now because Atari did not want to buy the site and have all this unlicensed IP on its hands in these stores all this intellectual property. And so that's why you don't see those games anymore. All the stuff from Champ Games, stuff like that, you don't see them anymore in the Atari Age store. So what does this mean for Atari Homebrew? uh, Apparently it means they're going to be doing a lot more, publishing a lot more original stuff on Atari Age, which I think is actually great. I think that's fantastic. The ports are, are really cool. A lot of the ports that have been done over the years, I think are fantastic, really good. I bought quite a few of these games when they did their big sale, but I find the original stuff a lot more compelling. You know, and that's why that's what we talk about on this podcast, not hacks, not ports. We talk about original stuff. And so I'm really interested to see what's
1: going to happen. I'm super excited about what Atari's doing. You know, just in the last 2 years alone, just the fact that they came out with that VCS console that was cool and they announced the 2600 plus last month like, yeah i can't wait to see what they are they're doing
2: like
0: right yeah that is progress is good progress
1: yep that's the hdmi console that
0: runs actual original 2600 games i am probably not going to get it it, it is a uh, emulation based, so it does not run a lot of homebrew stuff
1: yeah not at that price point i don't think um but yeah I 150 know. bucks us
0: yeah right and it just
1: comes with t- ten games on one cartridge. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But so, still, I appreciate
0: I appreciate what they're doing, and I mean, I think a lot of Atari hardcore Atari people are really excited about it.
1: So now, if if this means that I can get a brand new joystick for my Atari, you can then, then that there you go. You know, in fact, it, I've yeah made I'm, from Atari made by Atari. Then I'm in.
0: Yeah, I want to order one, uh, and they're re- re-releasing the paddle controllers as well, which oh, I have sure. a pair of paddles, and they're a little janky, like because they're old, you know, sure. but. So yeah, I'm I'm interested in getting a couple of brand new ones. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I'm a little conflicted about this. On the other hand, you know, you have to think, I watched what happened to Nintendo Age when that got bought, and that was just destroyed. It was just run into the ground pretty much overnight. And, you know, Kevin Hanley talked about this a little bit, but I mean it that was terrible for homebrew. Absolutely terrible. So I mean, you could see this going that way. You know, maybe the people who run Atari now are fine, but you know, maybe 5 or 10 years down the road somebody else owns the company. I don't know. I mean lately a lot of rich people making dumb decisions with c- crap they just bought, you know? Like it's true. Elon Musk just saying. But yeah, for right now, I don't know, it seems like a kind of a an actually kind of interesting development at least. Possibly even leaning towards the positive, you know. So, I don't know, cautiously optimistic about it. Let's say that. Another news I thought was worth mentioning. GB Compo, so the Game Boy comp- Deve- Developer Competition 2023 is over. 82 entries this year. 82. I think I think the last time it did this, it might have been over 120. But still, 82. That's a hell of a lot of games. Guys, are we going to cover these 82 entries for the podcast? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, 82
2: is an amazing number. <laughs> Holy crap. <Like>, <laughs> it's just indicative of the fact that there is there like is a lot of groundswell around this console. Yeah. You were saying this on other podcasts, Nick, and I I kind of downplayed it, but like there's something around the Game Boy. There really isn't about the Game Boy.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll tell you what, Nick, you play 80 of them and I'll play two of them and we'll get together and talk. Okay. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or we'll do like last time and I'll break it up onto two spreadsheets and Connor can play half. And <laughs> 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 Connor can, about the other Connor half. can uh, fail to understand the nature of spreadsheets.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we do in our uh, Discord, who is... So, yeah, he is a, one of the hosts of the New Game Old Flame uh, podcast, which is a podcast about new games for old consoles. Cool concept. I don't know if you've oh, wow. ever heard of that before. But he actually, like, throughout... I don't know if he was serious, but, like, you know, doing a joint episode with those guys where we, like, try to take on all 82. But <sighs> that's a lot. That's a lot. I think what you I'm going to do... I think they might do a, like, a finalist list. You know that might be, I That'd might be nice. Play that. that would be nice. But they have a theme, so the theme for this year is "You Are the Monster." All the games had to had to do something with that theme. So, mm, sounds like cool. a sounds like some future uh, spooky season Game Boy oh, games. Oh, we're mm. entering the spooky
2: season. <laughs>
0: that's right. The, yeah, the only other restriction had to be new work, brand new work for Game Boy or Game Boy Color, and implement the Jam theme. So you can find those. I'm going to put a link to that in our show notes. So. Game Boy Combo 2023. All right, guys, do we uh, do we want to do anything else here? Bart,
1: you got to head out of here. Yep, I have got to run, guys. This has been a great episode. I've, this has been, yeah, it's I, been one good. of my favorites.
2: I, I think all I want to emphasize is we're going to be doing some more games over the next period here. Like, what's the next <laughs> yeah. thing? Is this
0: like a? Is this a new season of
2: the podcast? Like feels like it feels, like it feels a little new like season. It. I mean, I'll, I'll, but, like the reason bad. the reason I'm saying that is because there's a lot of Game Boy games that I want to play. There's a lot of NES games I want to play. There's Full Quiet that I want to play. Yes. it's just right. it's just like an all class to itself. Like, I just want to like give a teaser to the listeners of like we're
0: going to be playing a lot of games.
1: I also kind of want to do a spooky game for spooky season, but
0: I do too, but I do too. But, uh, we're, we're a little behind on all of our other stuff. And I, I wanted to get to, uh, the next game here. Are you guys cool with playing the the kids games? I love kids games. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay. Despite being spooky season, I think what we're going to do is we're going to play some games that play on a common theme. Both of these games are made at least somewhat by and for children. That's right. So these are NES games, both of them with inspiration and some participation from kids. So one of these games is Doodle World. So that's Doodle World for the NES. That is a adorable game by Nate Peters. Yeah, it is a, a very cute crayon drawing, like hand drawing kind of theme. Uh, looks really good. Really fun kind of graphics on that one. So that's going to be Doodle World. We are also playing Kubo 3, and that is by the son of Mr. Dale Coop. Dale Coop, friend of the podcast, all-around great guy. Yeah, his son, uh, Seiji, I think is how you pronounce that. He made that game with Dale for his friends, I believe, and it is another uh, another game by and for kids. So we're going to be playing both of those next time around and uh, just giving our takes on it. So, yeah. Hoping to have those out in October. And this is uh, this is it, guys. This is a new a new season, a new new world of homebrew. Are you ready for this? Can you handle this?
2: We are ready to give you every
0: homebrew experience right in your do. ears. Just we're gonna, just gonna shove those cartridges it's right. It's gonna into your come ears. right into your ears. That's right. <laughs> this has been the Homebrew Game Club podcast. You can find links to our Discord, back episodes of the show, or other social media at homebrewgameclub.com. And you can look for us on your social media app of choice at HB game Club. If you like the show, please help us out by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or by telling all your retro gaming friends about our podcast. If you have comments or a suggestion for a game that you would like to hear us talk about, shoot us a message on social media or email us at homebrewgameclub at gmail.com. Our opening music is by Twee. You can find him on X at T U I2A03, where you can also find a link to his SoundCloud. Our outro music is by RafterNot. You can find him around the socials at 0000 Jordan. You know why I say that? I don't know what his handle is. I know it's it's 000 Jordan on X. I need to change my copy. Uh Raftornaut is out there. If you if you look for Raftornaut you can find him. How many people are named Rafterman? Honestly, what? You can follow me, Nick, at various sites around the internet at Divertov, that's Dvertov. That's D V E R T O V. Bart is on Instagram as clever username needed and Threads, no spaces. And Connor is on various social media at C O N O R N A S H. Also, no spaces. Tune in next time to the Homebrew Game Club when we will be talking about Doodle World and Kubo Three. Thank you for listening.
1: Yeah. Ooh.
0: It's you. What are you doing here? Come here. you need to go outside? Is that
2: what I think mean? Dick's talking to either or his dog. I'm not I sure which. I think it's you, his dog. No, it's a potty
0: in the yard. You need to take a potty in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is.
2: Okay, it is. <laughs> he lifted t- <laughs> it up just to uh, prove a point. I
0: like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, one of my kids did actually take a shit in the backyard once. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like she was, and she was way too old to do that. She was like five or something, you know, she was out there playing. Like she didn't want to come in. And so she just pulled down her pants and just took a shit in the middle of the yard and then pulled her pants back up and ran off, you know? Oh shit. Whose great dang got loose. Yeah. It was, it was this huge pile of shit. And I was like, that is not from the dog. What the fuck? <laughs> ah! Yeah. That's my kids.
1: God, that reminds me of that George Clooney story with him and Richard Kind living together and he had the kitten. Have you not heard that story? No, no, no. no. Oh, my God. So he's telling this story about this prank that he did on Richard Kind and he bought a brand new kitten and like every day George Clooney would come home from lunch because he was a starving actor at the time and he would go into the bathroom and he'd see that the cat had taken a shit and he'd just scoop it and throw it in the toilet, scoop it and throw it in the toilet every day. And after about five days, Richard Kind was like, my little kitten... Has not taken a shit in five days, and he didn't tell him. He didn't tell him. He like ended up going to the, taking the thing to the doctor, and like, he's, like feel his tummy. Is he? You think he's impacted? Do we need to take him to the doctor? <laughs> and it was like it went on for another week. And Richard kind of just like, this cat is not pooping. There is something wrong with the cat. And George Clooney was like, so you know what I had to do? I had to take a shit in the litter box. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so he took a shit in the litter box. And he said when Richard Kine came home and saw that, he was just like, ah! Can you imagine <laughs> thinking your cat hasn't shit in two weeks and then it comes out a turd that's bigger than the cat? Oh my God. <laughs> was, it, was it Clooney Poop? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, man. So good. Okay, that was oh
2: my great. God. All right. That's, I, Nick, I don't care what you. I don't. I don't care what you have to edit. That's the end of the podcast, right there.
0: That's the end of the podcast. I'm cutting oh. out right there. That's it. Yeah, All right. That's... Thanks. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. You get to hear
1: that <laughs> that little story. All right. Not my story. Uh, I'm gonna be right back.
2: <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna have to pee. I'm sorry. This is like too much. <laughs>